subject of this evening's talk is nuclear aggression. Just before coming down to you this evening to, to, to talk, I was reading an article that uh, Steve, one of the people here, had given me to read, which appeared in recent issues of the New Yorker magazine, an article by a man named Jonathan Shell. And the title of this article is The Fate of the Earth. And it's an account, a very factual account and insightful account of the present nuclear armament situation in the world, plus quotes and descriptions from of the situation in Hiroshima and all that is meant in this build-up of nuclear aggression. And many of you, of course, are already familiar with this area of life and some of the implications which are behind it. And in this talk with you this evening, I would like to speak about aggression in general the kind of manifestations which it takes, the kind of influences which it has seen and unseen on our own life, and also our relationship to aggression. We can look firstly perhaps at the, at the outer level of aggression in terms of the forms of conflict which take place, international conflict which takes place, and we see the kind of influences, the personality influences, the ego influences, which have their bearing in those conflicts. And one can't help in one's observation in listening to this, uh, the band of political leaders that you and I live under, one can't help thinking that they're perhaps in some way or other acting out some kind of bizarre game in their, in their own life in which the, the well-being of tens, thousands of millions of people are, are at stake. And with that there's the, the banding around of, of endless concepts in order to, to maintain the, that individual or that groups, that political parties, set of beliefs. And we in our countries here in America and, and, and in England so peculiarly in some way or other speak of such concepts too of, of democracy and one tends to be those, particularly those of you who have been or are involved in the activist movement and here's these concepts of democracy one wonders whether how much there is and, and it seems so often that there's just a, some basic power system at work like a, a mad elephant charging through this world destroying and uh, potentially destroying everything in its path and then there's just the, the small voices of protest here and there saying stop, stop, slow down, change direction or something like that but very little real real consideration to, to the concerns of, of millions of people. 
And this is the situation in which you and I live under. We, we live under it every day of our life. And so some, as this particular shell, this particular writer in the first few paragraphs of, points out in this particular article, from, just in the reference to nuclear war and, and the potential horror of it, we, we refer to it, as he says, as something unthinkable. And that perhaps therein is, is, is part of the problem. That the sheer horror of it, because it is unthinkable, so often it leads to so little real action. And so few people are, are really concerned. And just a year, a year or two ago, when some of us were speaking, speaking about this together and discussing it together, it was barely a whisper. And gradually and mercifully that, that whisper is growing into being something of a, of a voice. And there's a tremendous sense of solidarity and, and appreciation, if I may say, taking place between, uh, across the Atlantic, between those of us who live in England and Europe who are involved in the nuclear disarmament movement with those people here in, in, in America. And to me, that, that is one of the most, in, perhaps one of the most, and some may well feel, quite rightly so, the most important movement which is taking place at the present time. The expression, the active expression in, a, in terms of political gestures about one's concern. And somehow or other, <coughs> that has to be sustained. There needs to be, as it were, a real reawakening and enlivening within our consciousness about this particular issue. And that's obviously why this evening, while we're taking part in a retreat here together, that I mention it to you. One notices too that in, in the situation, just looking outwardly in very simple and, and, and global level at these kind of issues, how there's this all too familiar historical pattern which take pla takes place with, with whatever, rising unemployment and, and inflation and the lowering of the standard of living and greater social chaos and disorder and so on and so forth. And when those internal problems reach a kind of a certain unacceptable level to the people, and it's all too common for that particular government to find some kind of diversion, something which moves the people's attention away from the internal problems of that country. And so one has, as you probably well, well know, this mindless armada of the British off to the uh, South Atlantic. Just one more e e expression of Waving, waving a flag and, and sending off thousands of, of men and, and machinery to defend or protect something which nobody in the country has any real interest in anyway. And that, that kind of cowboy mentality, <laughs> you get the point, yes, that kind of, <laughs> that kind of, that kind of mentality is built up on concepts in the mind 
it's built up on concepts of pride and national honour and, and so sovereignty and so forth. And, and, and when that kind of thing is to the forefront, there's a, again an avoidance taking place. There's a diversion taking place. And it only takes in life one spark to make a fire. And, and that, that kind of issue in this world, the political issues in the world, some of us, and maybe included, I certainly have been, in the situation where perhaps we've been involved in the activist movement, the anti-war movement of the late 60s, became disillusioned with all the friction and tension that went along with it by those who were in the anti-war movement because of all the divisions that were taking place moved out of it, moved into spirituality, alternative living, therapy, etc, etc. But those problems, those things that one fought against, and which, which one felt aggressive against, haven't changed. And they're back, back with us. And one sees that given that kind of mentality that we are living with, the whole protest movement, I may say, must come alive. Must come alive. There's a real urgency for that in our heart, in our life. Otherwise there won't be a world to live in. And that 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 is one form, let us say, in which one sees how nuclear aggression is is operating. It's the state of conflict and the peculiarity about that of conflict, it has a certain apparent sophistication which goes along with it. In other words, our, our leaders appear quite friendly, affable people, smiling in front of the television cameras, speaking all quietly and, and gently and sincerely, and so on and so forth. But, behind, but it all seems, when one listens, it seems to, in some way or other, hide a, hide a mask the mask of aggression born through alienation. It's the, it's the state, of, state of aggression in which one is not actively involved. One doesn't do anything dirty oneself. One is so far removed from, from life, so distant in it, in one's um, uh, cubicle of, of um, cerebral thinking, that it's easy to maintain the position that one takes. The increase in armaments, the encouragement to other governments to, to, su su support, uh, to support other governments, to, to ignore human rights. All, all, all of that encouragement, in whatever form that it takes, that is violence. And it's a, as I say, it's a kind of sophisticated violence because one's hands don't get dirtied by the action, but by the pen, by the signature. And this we are so often so unaware of, so unaware of in our relationship to the political situation and these affable leaders. And to me, a compassionate action in the life of some, some awareness is a life which includes a very critical 
an uncompromising attitude. This looking, looking at, at life and the concern that is, that is being, being felt both on this side of the Atlantic and on the other side of the Atlantic is to its great credit is mobilizing and again I'm sure many of you know is mobilizing an energy an energy by people who feel concerned who have as it were some sense of life and the potential that that there is in life and this kind this kind of expression and action I feel is the expression of a religious mind as it, it is put it in the old Eastern language, it is the Maha Karuna, that's the great compassion, the Maha Karuna of the present age. To be aware of life, to be aware that we've, that unless some change is, comes about because of grassroots opinion really affecting political thinking, that unless that change comes about, we take one more step towards the precipice. And that is what Descent, I feel. The situation of our planet becomes more and more urgent. So it's not surprising, is it, that one reads and hears, even when you're in, in, in India, just, 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 re just recently, one, the Dalai Lama came to the end of the retreat there and we had a, a question and answer session with him and one of the questions which was directed to him was about some that the person had read that some serious event or whatever would be take would take likely to take place during these years, during the eighties. Someone hears this kind of thing again and again and again. And it perhaps it's one once again one more reflection that the feeling that this period of time that we are living in is very significant because future generations are not guaranteed. Our children are not guaranteed a future. So that, that, that to me is, is one important expression of an outer awareness in life. And through different ways, through small actions of letter, the, 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 the demonstration, the, 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 leaf, the leafleting, the meeting with people, the, the support, the financial support, the, all the sort of mobilizing just different ways in which the individual, which you and I, find ways and means to express concern. In other words, it's no longer the unthinkable, it's the, it is the thinkable. Recently, if I may say, Recently I was at uh, on a demonstration, one of them in England, and it was at the at, uh, United States uh, Air Force Base in a place called Greenham Common. It's a large common, it's about 100 miles west of, 50, 60 miles perhaps, west of London. And it's been an Air Force Base there for, for many years, and it's the usual thing, the high wire fence all around it, and these stark 
cold build buildings with inside it and, and, and the runway and, and so forth. And some women from Wales, in fact, have been camped there throughout the winter outside the gates of, of Greenham Common, living in tents, living in, living in caravans, and making their protest known outwardly, demonstratively. So there was a general invitation to people in the disarmament movement to, to come on one particular Sunday and uh, several thousand of us uh, went there on that, on that particular day. And I had the privilege also of going there and, and uh, opportunity to, uh, was invited to, to give a talk at one of the gates. And the reason that this place is uh, a major focus for us is because the cruise missiles will go to this air base next year and there's this campaign to try to, to stop this from happening. And I think you know about the cruise missiles, they're, they're the ones that you put on the back of trucks. And you can just drive them around in the countryside so that the enemy don't know where they are, then you send them off from your local alleyway. And it is just a, a bizarre, one more bizarre idea by the, sci the scientists as though it's going to make any difference where they go off from. So, and one of the things which struck me which really, if I may say, it really touched my heart about this visit was that it was a bitterly cold, wind, windy day in a very typically, typically English, grey and cloudy and, and everybody huddled up, huddled up together. And some of the women met in, in a big tent which they had erected outside the gate and they had a discussion amongst themselves. And one of the decisions that they made was that that night they would chain themselves to the gates from 6.30 in the evening to 24 hours. No men allowed, just the women together. And they did it. And as I say, for me and uh, for a lot of our friends, an extraordinarily touching time. The <coughs> they stayed there, stood through the, stood through the night or the, the following day. And, uh, and then the, the the Air Force men came, came to work the following morning, of course they couldn't get in. And then the police came and so forth, and then of course all were, as usual, all were arrested. And one of the things, if I may say, for having still a bit of a nostalgic attachment to Buddhism, one of the things which I, appreciate, I appreciated <laughs> was, <laughs> was the fact that uh, two Buddhist nuns were arrested, and I thought, well, great, great stuff, that's what true religion is all about. <laughs> <laughs> so the follow so they so some one of the women who was arrested spent some uh, tight time with us and then they had a court case. Just two days I think it was before we came here to see you. And uh, the women who were arrested they were fined uh, fifteen pound each and the two nuns because they're penniless they were fined a quid each. It's a pound each. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole the whole Spirit, I felt, is, 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 is one where there's, there's, there's seeing, and the seeing brings about an action. And, th and that seeing brings about an action, and it helps to bring about a little bit more public awareness, and hopefully that will keep extending itself and extending itself until the shout for peace, and the shout for disarmament is going to be so strong so strong the shout from ordinary people that no government 
can go on ignoring it. That's what's got to happen. There's no alternative in it. So one looks too in, this, in, 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 in the outer level and we look to what is my relationship to, to all of that. And so often, isn't it, in so many things in life we tend to feel impotent. We tend to feel for all the, the reasons, and the ways of communication and so forth, we, we feel to be that, that, that as an individual we can't do anything. And unfortunately, that's what keeps the unthinkable as the unthinkable. But one sees too that in this whole area of, of, of aggression, one may look at a situation, one may, one may look at the outer situation and the way that it is, and it, perhaps it makes one feel angry. It makes one feel angry about the, the, the senseless destructiveness, the willingness to, to, to enter into a situation in this, in this world which consideration for life and humanity takes second place to one's our vested interests. And in, in that, perhaps I'll speak a moment or two, perhaps anger can be a useful and meaningful energy. Perhaps our whole relationship to this, this area has to be looked at a little bit more carefully rather than as in the religious tradition, so on, that anger is a no-no. Something which has to go, something which is not the sign of a spiritual being. Perhaps that, 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 that all has to be looked at a little bit more, more carefully. But in, in, in giving consideration to nuclear, nuclear aggression, well, seems to me that it, it's really looking at aggression within the whole context of the nuclear society. Looking at it in the very obvious ways in terms of those things which I've just been referring to, that, that the issues of our primary issues of our time. But seeing too how in the nuclear society aggression shows itself in other ways, often just as insidious. And, and, and perhaps that too, in terms of our outer awareness and our whole relationship to life, perhaps some of us need to make some kind of re-emphasis in our life, some kind of readjustment, some kind of change in our consciousness which says, I've got to look at this world differently from what I'm doing. I've got to look at my relationship to, to life and to people and to situations differently from the way I have doing it. I can't afford to live in an apathetic way. And perhaps some of us have to start making that, that, that re-emphasis, inwardly and outwardly. What I find, if I may say so, is that sometimes certain situations in, in one's life and certain experiences become, as it were, kind of a push for oneself. It's a peculiar phenomenon that we as human beings, there's a kind of an inherent laziness within, within us. And it sometimes it seems to, seems to take something to, to give us a push, if you, know, if you know what I mean. And sometimes it's a personal experience, either something happening directly to oneself or something which is, has happened to somebody else. 
And it's sometimes that kind of connection with life which brings about some, some kind of energy inside. The nuclear issue, for many people, seems so far away from where that person is, perhaps where you are, perhaps where I am, seems so far away, we can't connect with it personally. Because we can't connect with it personally, we leave it to everybody else. We might applaud the people who are out on the streets, we might, might applaud this, um, uh, what is it called, zero movement, uh, ground zero movement, which is taking place in the States and colleges, and, pardon? The nuclear freeze movement. We might, we might, might well applaud, applaud that, and there's a massive movement taking place in, in the States this particular, particular week. But so easily, because we feel alienated from something, we leave it. We leave it to somebody else, to the others, to them, to, to, to deal with. And, that, and so sometimes it's when something actually affects us that it begins to bring about a change. Hopefully that article by, uh, by Shell in the New Yorker and by our, and other articles and features, just that kind of getting in touch can be very instrumental in, in bringing about some, some kind of awareness in our life. They help us bring about some, some kind of change in our, in our thinking. But it's not only there, as I, as I, as I, as I, I mentioned. It's also in, in other aspects of our nuclear society. And sometimes some, sometimes some things come home to one in quite a, an extraordinary and in a un, rather unexpected way. It suddenly makes one a little bit more, more aware and more, more concerned. And not depressed and, and fearful and, and withdrawn, but it helps to touch something inside. And if I may say, if you don't find it too tedious to hear, of a personal uh, situation, just very, very, very recently with regard to this. And it's a, as it were, it's a kind of, a little bit of a family, family history. It's not a very pleasant story, story at all, but sometimes it touches some, something in, in, inside of one in a way which one it hadn't done before. In 1930, my my grandfather, who was a, a gardener, a very poor man, living in uh, the uh, outer part of London, lost his job during the time of the, the Depression, the high, high unemployment. And they lived in a little terraced house, he, wife, five children. And the bailiffs, the church bailiffs, the property was owned by the church, because he couldn't afford to pay the rent, didn't have any money coming in, they threw them out, the whole, the whole family. And no doubt there's probably a, my grandfather, a, a long history or some history or whatever, of a deeply rooted fear and anxiety that this would happen to him, would happen to the family. And the fear was actualized. And he couldn't handle it. Just couldn't, he just couldn't, just couldn't handle this particular situation and he committed suicide. And my father, who was about the third in the middle of the children, was the one who went into the kitchen and found him. He had uh, put his head in the gas oven. 
And the family, of course, well, as you can appreciate, my father had a devastating impact upon his consciousness and has shown itself in many, many ways over, over the years. And only my mother has actually told me about this. My father would never. And that had that particular situation born of the society, born, born of social attitudes, born of the lack of sensitivity and so forth, has its kind of impact, has its kind of continuity in ways sometimes which we don't, we're not, we don't even see, we're not even, even, even aware of. In 1946, my father had come home from the, from the war and of course a lot of men coming back from the war, he had spent years in Europe and he went to the housing people and they said, look, there's no, no place for you, there's just no, 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 nowhere, You're, you and your son, myself, um, your, your wife and son would have to go into a, into a hostel and you will have to find a room somewhere, which meant, of course, the splitting up of the family. And he, as he said, threw a fit in the office and said, I've just fought six bleeding years of this country and, and voiced very aggressively his, his rage, his understandable rage. And he managed to get a flat for, the, for at that time, the three, the three of us. And these, these things I never had hardly thought about. It, I mean, I knew this story in my father's uh, life. But more recently, in my own uh, uh, life, we had been living in a small cottage in the West Country. And very hard to find anywhere to live in England. And so the land, and the landlady said to her, that she wanted to move back into the cottage if her husband died, an elderly man, and, she, and he said, okay, that's all right. And while I was away on retreat, um, three months ago, he, in fact, died. And since then, of course, she has been very, very anxious, in fact, though she's a very independent, extremely wealthy person, very anxious, in fact, to get back into the cottage. And the result has been, for us as a small, family unit, that this person keeps coming to the cottage and she brings the builders in, she says, oh, I have this done and that, that done there, and paint this, and wallpaper that. And she's had the gardeners round, she's had the damp-proof man round, because the house is very cold and damp and so on and so forth. And all of this, as it were, is, is going on within our little family, family unit, with, of course, all the pressure, overt and um, unspoken, pressure of, I want you out, I want you out, I want you out. And one sees that, 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 that what's, what has struck me, of course, with our situation, of course, can't be compared to the problems and the difficulty that my father and his grandfather had to face. I mean, just no, no comparison. But what one does see, too, that from the outer situation, there is a pressure, and that pressure tends to have its, have its impact. And, and and one of the ways, which it's it, it really, I don't think Brandon would mind my saying, one of the ways which that really showed itself is after we had gone to look to try to, to find a new place to live, the umpteenth time that we had gone, and I'm sure many of you have experienced this too, this feeling of um, 
can't find anywhere to live, or can't find a job, or, or whatever. And how uh, this gets a bit disheartening. And we've gone to look at one house, and, and because so many people had gone to it, the owner of the place had staggered a number of times. So we were with you in at six or ten past six that evening to look at it, the house to rent. Said, someone was there. As we went in, someone was just coming out. By golly, just as we were walking out, someone else was coming to come in. Guys, what chance have we got? And and just and that that kind of situation as we were coming home in the in the car, Gwendolyn and my mother's car, and Gwendolyn was sitting on the back seat with the child. We were driving back and uh, kind of very kind of quiet and not, not saying anything. And she just bent over the front seat of the car. She said, "You know something?" She said, "It's getting me down." And it's just as it were. It, what what struck me is that our situation, which I personally never given any thought to, never had to, that's why, in the past with regard to housing and, and living situation, suddenly it has an impact on oneself. Suddenly one, after 30, 40 years or whatever, never having given a real thought to it, it suddenly has an effect on one. And the social situation um, comes to mind and that what one is experiencing at a rather awkward, uh, difficult time is what countless millions have experienced. And one may feel annoyed about that, or irritated about it, and, and angry about that, about a society which so often, in so many ways, seems to have so little care for the poor, or for, the, for the underprivileged, and so forth. And what is some people just bottle up their feelings and so forth. And, and if I may say, what it, the way that it's affected me tends to make, tends to make me more political. That's the kind of uh, in, impact. It, seem, it seems that in one's uh, touch of one's energy and being personally affected, one sees uh, this kind of situation and all the ways that it shows itself requires some attention in our life. It requires some kind of awareness in our life. It requires some kind of recognition that when we have friends, that for example, who are, who are in a difficult situation, that, are, that uh, one finds space for them. Things like that. It, it, re it, re it requires that, that when we read, read something about someone who's having a hard time, many, so many people do, as many of you are here too, that, that one has that kind of awareness and sensitivity. And as I say, somehow or other, in a state of alienation from life, we lose touch with it. And, some, and not that one has to look for things in life, but rather when they happen, to happen so that the energy inside of oneself is touched. An energy which is touched inside of oneself, meaning an energy which leads to some kind of action. In some way or other, some kind of gesture of concern. This, this, look, this looking, now looking, particularly in terms of aggression and the forms that it, that it show, shows itself, as I mentioned, it's all too easily and often in rela relationship to that, there's a kind of, I have a kind of relationship to it, particularly in spiritual practice, that it oughtn't to be there. Sometimes 
that aggression shows itself in particular ways, of course, which have to be looked at more carefully. The aggression which shows itself in terms of a destructive attitude. An aggression which shows itself in terms of revenge. Now when, when we experience it in those kind of forms and other similar, similar forms, it requires perhaps of us a, a very careful look, look, looking at that desire in some way or other to actually get one's own back, to inflict pain on another as a, as a way of equalizing a situation. And no doubt we've all at particular times in our life have gone through that. We've been, whatever it might be, we've been hurt or been rejected or something has gone wrong or whatever, and then there's this, there's this, the effect has been the desire to get one's own back. That kind of action of aggression must be looked at. That's all too typical expression of the socialized mind, the conditioned mind, conditioned by the society and the environment which we live, un live under. But, but rather, in seeing that, is it necessary though that in this looking at aggression, does all of aggression have to be negated? Because what one sees with it, that when we feel in that way, that it is a, a mobilizing energy. It brings about a certain kind of energy. And in a way, in a rather peculiar way, it can be a resource. And perhaps somewhere or other, through our own observation and understanding of ourselves, perhaps some kind of, in, in a very diff rather difficult area, but some kind of change of relationship needs to take place. It's all too often, isn't it, in our life, that things that we become aggressive about are really not worth being aggressive about. And something happens, you know, where there's a frustration of what we want, let us say. And in that frustration, we feel blocked off. That creates a pressure, and the pressure creates an aggression. We would desire something that's being cut off, it creates an aggression. But all too often in this area, it's in, it's in areas which are so small and so trivial, and, then, and when it's like that, we feel, of course, or we may feel that we either justify it and try to rationalize the action away, or we feel, I oughtn't to be like that, and we hold on to it or hold it back in some way. Rather than seeing, yes, if there's going to be a, the aggression there, if there's going to be that kind of energy in our life, in what ways can we channel it? What ways can it be used fruitfully and directly and honestly? What ways can it be used to mobilize change, personal change, social change, political change? And perhaps one of the things which may, can come out of that kind of awareness in life, one of the things which certainly does come, is a tremendous sense of solidarity. When people see something, and see something's wrong, when people see something is terribly, terribly wrong. When, see, when people see that money for the poor is going on armaments. When, when, when one sees the way that the third world, as many of us who have spent time there, is being bled and bled and bled yet again. When one sees all the states of unfairness and all the expressions of it in our society. People who express that concern, that, that Within that, there's, there's, a, there's a unity of spirit. 
and that unitive spirit can show and express itself in, in the simple and direct action of caring for one other person. That can be an expression of that very same, same spirit. It can be an expression of, of participated, participating in one single demonstration. And, out, and so, so often, out of those kind of things, there are so many offshoots of that. And what is needed, as was mentioned the other night in the talk, what is needed very much is a sustain, the sustaining element. And hopefully these days here, these short days that we are here, here together, my understanding is that this inner work is very, very much a part of any outer work which you and I might be involved in. That, 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 that the two are inseparable that the inner and the outer are utterly related. And the more that you and I free our mind from mental chatter, from all the petty, superfluous uh, activities of our mind, and we clear a space in our mind, so to speak, to see and to observe and to be aware, the more that we do that, the more that out of that space can come that kind of action which is necessary, which is urgent. And and, and vital, and which is with life itself. And so the one and the other really are, 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 bound, are bound together. And perhaps it's that, be- that binding of the two, two together that will enable a sustaining element to take place. Otherwise we'll have a, a repeat of, of, the, of the late 60s and the early 70s where it got burnt out. And all of us, each one of us here, together, can make a, a contribution. And that contribution comes because we live and we are and we care. May all beings see into life. May all beings see into the nature of things.